you have your Bibles, would you turn please to the book of Isaiah. In the Old Testament, the book of Isaiah, chapter number 6. Isaiah chapter number 6. I'd like to read for your hearing the first eight verses of that chapter. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw also the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and his train filled the temple. Above it stood the seraphims. Each one had six wings. With twain he covered his face. With twain he covered his feet. With twain he did fly. And one cried unto another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the post of the door moved at the voice of him that cried. And the house was filled with smoke. Then said I, Woe is me, for I am undone, because I'm a man of unclean lips. I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips, for mine eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Then one of the seraphims came unto me, flew one of the seraphims unto me, having a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with the tongs from off the altar. And he laid it upon my mouth and said, Lo, this hath touched thy lips, and thine iniquity is taken away, and thy sin purged. Also I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send, and who will go for us? Then said I, Here am I, send me. And I want to borrow that statement from verse number 1, where Isaiah says, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne. I saw the Lord sitting on a throne, and I'd like to speak this morning on the subject, the king in his beauty. The king in his beauty. This is the most familiar passage of Scripture. Not only does it present the king in his beauty, but it presents the conversion of Isaiah who would become one of the greatest prophets in the Old Testament. One day, Isaiah goes to the temple, and before his eyes he gets a vision of the Lord God sitting upon a throne. Notice I emphasize that. He was sitting upon a throne. In this vision, Isaiah did not see the Lord in the arms of the Virgin Mary. Isaiah did not see him in a Bethlehem manger. He did not see him on a rugged cross. No, not even as Stephen saw him standing at the Father's right hand. But he saw him on a throne. I saw the king, and he was on a throne. Now, I want us to look at this this morning. It is a great passage of Scripture, and it is filled with Easter from one side to the other. Isaiah would never forget this vision, and I hope that we never will either. And I'd like to present it to you in a threefold manner. We like to try, we like to endeavor to 
to teach the Word of God in our church. Not enough for you to read it, you need to understand it, what it is saying. It is the most up-to-date book that has ever been published, the Bible, the Word of God. And so I want you to listen carefully, I want you to follow along in this narrative and in this scripture reading which we've presented. Three things, if time permits. Number one, the time of the vision. You find it in the first part of verse number one. Number two, the theology of the vision. You find it in the latter part of verse one through verse number four. And number three, the transformation of this vision in verses five through eight. Let's look at the time of the vision. The Bible says in the year that King Uzziah died. This happened in the year and in the time that King Uzziah died. If you study this man's life, you'll find out he was one of the greatest kings that Judah ever had. He came to the throne at the age of 16 and reigned for 52 years. He built Judah militarily, economically, and agriculturally. Now, if you want to know a little bit about some of his accomplishments, and we'll not have time to enumerate them, turn over, keep your marker where it is in your Bible, turn over to Second Chronicles chapter 26. Second Chronicles chapter number 26. And the first 14 verses of that chapter deal with the accomplishments of this man, Uzziah. There was a historian who lived during the time of the Lord Jesus Christ. His name was Josephus. And Josephus wrote a history of Christendom. And in that he describes this man, Uzziah. He says, Uzziah was a good man, and by nature he was righteous and magnanimous, very laborious in taking care of the affairs of his kingdom. He made an expedition also against the Philistines. He overcame them in battle. He took the cities of Gath and Jabneh. He also assaulted the Arabs that adjoined to Egypt. He built a military base on the Red Sea. He overthrew the Amorites and made them pay taxes. He had a standing army of 375,000 men. But he died. Death visits unimportant people. But it also visits important people as well. It matters not how successful one might be, nor how many accomplishments he's able to occur in life. All men die in Adam. Regardless of whether they be good or bad, regardless of whether they be Christians or atheists, all men die in Adam. And it came to an end for King Uzziah. That had not changed. 
Moses died when he's 120 years old. But he died. And never has there been a military leader to lead God's people like Moses did. But he died. Abraham died when he's 137 years of age. He's the patriarch of the Jewish people. And yet Abraham died. King David died. The greatest king the people of Israel ever had. But yet he died. Methuselah died. Lived 969 years. But he died. All men die in Adam. I'm going to die. You're going to die. And people all over the world are going to experience what it means to die. The time of the vision in the year that King Isaiah died. And it may have been his death that caused Isaiah to seek spiritual help when he was at the temple. The latter part of that reference in Second Chronicles chapter number 26, verse number 15 and following... It says in verse 16 that Uzziah was very strong and his heart was lifted up in destruction. But he transgressed against the Lord his God and went into the temple of the Lord to burn incense. Here a king is transgressing the ordinance of God by burning incense on the altar. And Azariah the priest went in after him. With him fourscore priests of the Lord that were valiant men. And they withstood King Uzziah. And said to him, It pertaineth not unto thee, Uzziah, to burn incense unto the Lord. That's the job of the priests, the sons of Aaron. They're consecrated to burn incense. Go out of the sanctuary, for thou hast trespassed. Here the people are giving the king an order here. Uzziah, get out of here. You don't need to be here. Neither shall it be for thine honor from the Lord. And it made the king mad. Kings don't like to be told by anybody except their wives what they can do and what they cannot do. You'll get that one a little later on. In verse number 20, Azariah, the chief priest, And all the priests looked upon Uzziah. Behold, he was leprous in his forehead. And they thrust him out of the temple. Verse 21. Uzziah the king was a leper unto the day of his death. Have you ever wondered what he died from? He died from leprosy. Why did he die from leprosy? He was cut off from the house of the Lord. And Jotham his son was over the king's house, judging the people of the land. I saw this Isaiah die. He was a great man, greatly esteemed by Isaiah and the people, and yet he died. It's amazing to me that maybe by means of application that there are some Isaiahs today that when they die, they bring 
discomfort and uncertainty and insecurity upon us. The people looked to Uzziah for everything and now he's dead. He's not there. There's the Uzziah of finance. What does that mean, Brother Cozart? It means when you get fired and you don't have a job anymore. It's amazing how we get a little disturbed when things like that happen. There's the Uzziah of loved ones. When our loved ones die, husbands, wives, moms, and dads, and especially children, it so rocks us that we don't know what we're going to do. There's the Uzziah of divorce. And when it takes place, it can be so treacherous. And many, many times people do things that ordinarily they would not do. It's amazing we usually look up when trouble comes. And when Uzziah was dead, Isaiah saw something greater than Uzziah. He saw the Lord. (laughs) It's amazing to me how the Holy Spirit uses things sometimes to get us to get our eyes off what we think to be terrible things and look to the Lord Some have looked to the Lord for the very first time in their life when tragedy comes. Now let's further study this. The second thing is the theology of the vision. I saw the Lord sitting on a throne. I saw the Lord sitting on a throne. We have to deal a moment with the person of this Lord. The person of this Lord. If you look very carefully... There's a different word used for Lord in this passage. In verse number 3 of Isaiah chapter number 6. Believe it's verse number 3. Yes. And one cried to another, that is the seraphim, said, Holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. That's spelled with capital letters L-O-R-D. And go down to verse number 5. Isaiah said, mine eyes have seen the Lord, L-O-R-D. But when you go back to verse number 1, Isaiah said, I saw the lowercase L-O-R-D. Isaiah uses the word Adonai. It's another word for God. But the highest word for God is Yahweh. It is Jehovah, the sovereign God of heaven and earth and the host thereof. This is the one he sees sitting on a throne. Now, it poses a moment of study here. His identity. The Lord's identity. If this be the Lord of glory, and if this be the Lord mighty Jehovah, John 1.18 says, No man hath seen God at any time. That is, no man hath ever seen God in His complete, full radiance and sovereignty and glory. You could not absorb that. You could not take that. It's too much for the mind and too much for the individual. In Exodus chapter 33, verse number 20, God spoke these words to Moses. Moses said, Lord, you show me your glory. I want to see your glory. And the Lord said, there shall no man see me and live. Yet, in Matthew chapter 5, verse 8, one of the Beatitudes says, the pure in heart, blessed are they, for they shall see God. 
And in Genesis chapter 32, verse number 30, the Lord Jesus, or Jacob, pardon me, said, I have seen God face to face. Now, every word in your Bible is important there. You have a narrow vision of Jacob. He said, I've seen God face to face. That's a narrow view. It is a limited exposure. You mean that's all there is of God, just his face? That's what Jacob saw. Jacob wrestled with an angel of the Lord. And in a wrestling match, many times you're face to face with the opponent. And grappling and you see the face and you feel the face of the other person. Jacob went through that, but it's not talking about the full radiance and glory of God Almighty. These are not contradictions. God's nature is spirit. He told this to the woman by the well. His essence cannot be seen by mortal man. God is invisible to the naked eye. The only way to see God is that God must take a physical form And he did. And that physical form was the Lord Jesus Christ. God incarnate. God in flesh. So that we could see him. In John's gospel. Chapter 1. Verse number 1. In the beginning was the word. And the word was with God. And the word was God. And verse 14 says. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us so that we may be able to see God. This Lord here, I saw the Lord upon a throne, not only his person, this Lord is none other than Jesus Christ. It is the Lord's Christ that Isaiah sees. Not only do we see the person of the Lord, but the place of the Lord. Where is he? He's upon a throne. Amen? He's upon a throne high and lifted up. It is not the humiliated Christ that you read about in Isaiah chapter number 53, verses 2 and 3. He is despised. He is rejected of men. He's a man of sorrows. He's acquainted with grief. We hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised. We esteemed him not. He hath no form nor comeliness, no beauty, anything that we should desire him. That's not who he sees. He sees a Lord on a throne high and lifted up. As he is spoken of in the 52nd chapter of Isaiah, verse number 13, Behold, my servant shall deal prudently. He shall be exalted and extolled and very high. And in the 57th chapter of Isaiah, verse number 15, For thus saith the high and lofty one that inhabiteth eternity, whose name is holy, and that's what the seraphim said, holy, 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 this one's on the cross, high and lifted up, his name is holy, I dwell in the high and holy place with him also, that is of a contrite and humble spirit to revive the spirit of the humble and to revive the heart of the contrite ones, the place of the Lord. He's on a high and lifted up throne. 
Now the power of the Lord says his train filled the temple. His train filled the temple. Calvin in his commentaries makes this statement. This train or flowing material covered his throne, thus representing the glory of God. The train of a wedding dress speaks of honor and glory. Sometimes young ladies, when they get married, have these beautiful dresses on, but a long flowing train, a trail following the dress, it adds glory, it adds brilliance to the occasion. It is said that when Princess Diana was married in England, her train on her dress stretched out behind her for 20 to 30 feet. Can you imagine that? The longer the train, the more glory involved. And here Isaiah says, I see the Lord high and lifted up and his train, his glory filled the temple Notice also not only the place of the Lord and the power of the Lord and the praise of the Lord. In verses 2 and 3, it talks about the seraphim. The Bible says in those two verses, these words. Above it stood the seraphims. Each one had six wings. With twain he covered his face. With twain he covered his feet. And with twain he did fly. And one cried unto another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts, the whole earth. (laughs) Not the building, but the whole earth is filled with his glory. Each seraphim had six wings. You say, well, how many seraphim were there? The Bible doesn't specify. There are some who believe that there were at least two seraphim. I Frankly, believe there were three seraphim. There could have been more. But notice the activity. Each seraphim had six wings. With twin, with twin, two wings, pardon me, two wings, they had six wings. Two wings covered their face. They would fold their face over with these wings, which indicates humility. It prevented them from looking on the Lord. The Lord in such brilliance that even the angels had to cover their faces to look on Him. With two wings they covered their feet. Speaking of fear and respect for Him who sat on the throne. Preventing Him from seeing them. Because even the angels feel unworthy in the presence of the King of Kings. And with the other two wings they used to fly. They would fly about serving the Lord. I made this notation, more wings were used for humility and fear than for service. God wants us to respect Him. God wants us to fear Him. And God wants us to be humble in our worship of Him. That's even more important than the service we render for the Lord. The praise of the Lord. Their praise consists of praising... The triune God, not only just one time holy, but holy, holy, holy. I believe there were three seraphims. The cherubims 
are angels that are designed to protect God, to protect the work of God. Seraphims are designed to magnify the brilliance of God. And they say but three things, holy, holy, holy. Holy is God the Father, holy is God the Son, and holy is God the Holy Spirit, the great triune God. The whole time the whole earth will ever be filled with his glories when he sits on his throne to rule and to reign. He's already served his Savior. Today he serves his high priest. But one day he will rule as king of kings over this earth and lord of lords. Now, I don't have the time to pursue this, but I need to mention it to you in Revelation chapter 4, verses 6 through 8. When John, the revelator, the writer of the book of Revelation, was caught up into the presence of God, he saw a lot of things. First of all, he saw the Lord. That's important. But he also saw four living creatures. He saw four angels. And these angels are identified as the same angels that Isaiah see the Lord in this vision when he said, I saw the Lord high and lifted up. Because they're crying the same thing in eternity. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God, which was, which is, and is to come. Now the proof of the Lord. The proof that this is the Lord. Verse number four. You have a verification of an earthquake. Did you bypass that? And the post of the door, that is the door of the house of God, it moved at the voice of him that cried and the house was filled with smoke. The verification of an earthquake. As Isaiah saw this vision, there was an earthquake that occurred at the death of Isaiah and then at the transition that I saw the Lord high and lifted up. You need to be interested enough to write this reference down. Zechariah chapter 14 verse 5 speaks of this very earthquake. He calls it the earthquake in Isaiah's day. So it was an actual earthquake that occurred. Many things happened when Christ was on the cross. When he died, an earthquake happened. The sun refused to shine. At his resurrection, three days and three nights later, my dear friends, there was another earthquake and the graves were opened and many dead people came out of those graves in Jerusalem. And in all of these three instances, it calls attention to our Lord. Earthquake. And it said there was smoke that filled the house. That's an Old Testament Levitical priesthood term. As the priest would go into the Holy of Holies and sprinkle blood on the mercy seat, he took a censer and had coals in it and it emitted smoke. But he went into that Holy of Holies and he filled that area over the mercy seat with smoke. Why is that? To prevent him from looking on such a holy God. The verification of the earthquake. The verification of smoke. You remember when Moses, and I alluded to it to begin this message this morning... 
He said on one occasion, Lord, you show me your glory. I want to see your glory. That's what I want to see. And the Lord said, no man hath seen me at any time and lived. But you know what? God honored his request. He took Moses and put him in the cleft of a rock. There was an opening, a split place in a rock. And he put Moses in a rock and positioned him so much that when God walked by, the only part of God he could see was his hinder parts. Did you know we sing a song in our church, Rock of Ages? Cleft for me. Let me hide myself in. That's the only way you can look at a glorified God, my dear friend. And even then, Moses' face lit up and shined so brightly that when he went down to minister to the children of Israel, nobody could talk to him because they could, the light was too big. We're talking about God Almighty in Jesus Christ, His Son. Finally, the third thing I wanted to share is the transformation of the vision. Look at verses 5 through 8. Then said I, this is Isaiah talking, after he saw these things, Woe is me, for I'm undone. Because I'm a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For mine eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. And one of the seraphims came unto me, flew unto me, having a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with the tongues from off the altar. And he laid it upon my mouth and said, Lo, this hath touched thy lips, and thine iniquity is taken away, and thy sin is purged. Also I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? Then said I, Here am I, send me. A dramatic change took place in Isaiah. He came to the temple an unsaved man, and he left the temple a redeemed man. And this is similar to what happened to that publican over in the New Testament. You remember the Pharisee and the publican went to the temple to pray and the Pharisee bragged and said, what a great man I am and all the wonderful things I've done and I thank you I'm not as this publican over here. The publican would not so much as lift his eyes to heaven but said, God be merciful to me, a sinner. Now, several things changed in Isaiah. First of all, he began crying. Look at verse number 5. He said, Woe is me, for I'm undone. Woe is me. I like to take my concordance, and I like to take certain words that are used in the Bible and see what the original language of the word was and what it actually means. I challenge you to look up the little word W-O-E in your concordance. Whoa, whoa, give me a moment. I'll spell it for you. In the Hebrew, it's O-W-Y. It is pronounced O-E or U-E. Isaiah, when he sees himself, 
having seen the Lord high and lifted up, he says, oh, we. Oh, we. Closest thing we have to it is, oh, me. Oh, me. He was so disturbed by it. You know, when a person sees the God of the Bible, he doesn't always just run around jumping pews and speaking in unknown tongues. He says, oh, me. Do you realize how holy God Almighty is? Number one. And number two, do you realize how unholy you are? Isaiah said, I'm undone. It means he was cut off. He realized he was separated from God by his sins. I am undone. He followed it by saying, I'm a man of unclean lips. Even as a leper, leprosy would cause a man to be unclean in his sight. And he was required by the Jewish law, wherever he went encountering other people, to just simply start saying unclean, 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 so no one would go near him. I'm a man of unclean lips. And watch this, I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. I mean, I'm not the only one with unclean lips. You are too. Huh? Oh, no, you're not talking about me. I'm precisely talking about you. I'm a man of unclean lips. He considered himself one of many other heathen. He saw his own sin first before pointing out the sins of others. You know, we become like the company we keep. The reason we have unclean lips because we hang out with people with unclean lips. Hey, this is Easter. Smile. We're talking about I saw the Lord high and lifted up. And then he not only cries, but he recognizes a sovereign cleansing in verses 6 through 7. Notice his cleansing was completely by a sovereign Lord. He did not cooperate. What does the Bible have to say about that? In verse 6, Then flew one of the seraphims unto me, having a live coal in his hand, a live coal which he had taken with the tongues from off the altar. And he laid it on my mouth and said, Lo, this hath touched thy lips. Thine iniquity is taken away and thy sin purged. And he didn't have to repeat the sinner's prayer. Come on. God is an almighty sovereign God. He saves whomsoever he wills. And he damns whomsoever he wills. Isaiah was a recipient of God's divine mercy by sending those seraphim to do that. It was sovereignly bestowed by God. Represented by two things. That it was a live coal. As I read that, I try to visualize it. The seraphim touched Isaiah with a live, with a hot coal. Now, heat 
is generated from the live coal, but also light is generated. I wish you'd listen to this. My goodness, a lot. Light is regenerated by a coal, this, this fire, heat and light. Do you know what heat is? It is the need, my dear friends, of a corpse in order to live. And until he lives, he's dead as a mackerel. Cold and dead and lifeless. And when the cold touched him, heat came into him. He was regenerated. He was aware of what was going on. A cold, dead sinner must be given life. Life, L-I-F-E. Brother Randy wrote, brought a tremendous scripture reference this morning about Lazarus. You know, there were two things that Lazarus needed to come out of that tomb. Number one was regeneration, and the other one was illumination. And God gave him both. Lazarus, that regenerated him. And he said, come forth. And that gave him instruction as to what he needed to do. My goodness, alive, folk. I'm going to get beside myself in a minute. This thing gets to me. His iniquity is taken away. Not covered. Thank God, not covered. There's not enough cover, my dear friends. It's actually taken away out of the sight of God. Never to be seen by God. He casts it behind his back, never to mention it anymore. Past sins, yes. Present sins, yes. Future sins, yes. And he did it for his people in the death of his son, Jesus Christ, and his resurrection. And finally, in verse number 8, let me reread that. Also, I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will... Now watch this. It's so important, church. Whom shall I send and who will go for us? Not that God can't do well without me and do well without you. He could do it all without us. But he sends us to become his representatives to do his work. Who's going to go for us? We have a serving conversation here. Now Isaiah could talk with the Lord. He was no longer estranged and cut off. How sweet to converse with the Lord. Selah. Selah. How sweet to converse with the Lord. I guess one of the first prayers I ever learned as a little child, but now I lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord my soul to keep. And if I should die before I wake, I pray the Lord my soul to take. And I'd pray that thing every night because I was scared death is going to die. But I stand before you today, my dear friends, many years separated from that, And I'm here to tell you, it is so sweet to have the privilege of talking with the Lord in heaven. 
through his son who is our high priest making intercession continually for our sins. How sweet to talk with him. God uses preachers to take the gospel. Whom shall I send and who will go for us? And Isaiah answers, the call to go, here am I. Lord, send me. Two other brief things and I will close. Isaiah saw the king in his beauty. And one day we shall see the king in his beauty. In Isaiah 33 verse 17. Thine eyes shall see the king in his beauty. They shall behold the land that is very far off. How is it? Far is it from here to heaven? I don't know, but it's a long ways. One day we're going to see that land, and we're going to see the king in his beauty. The other thing I wanted to mention is this. Uzziah was a king, and he died. Jesus Christ was a king and he died. Even unsaved Pilate realized that and put on his cross Jesus, king of the Jews. Both men were kings. Both of them died. Uzziah is still dead. But King Jesus is still alive. That's our hope. That's our joy. And that's how we end this service of reflecting on the greatest miracle that ever happened. God raised his son Jesus Christ from the dead. I hope you have a great Easter time. Let's stand please for prayer.